Hello, welcome to the Career Conversation Show. Today I have uh, Ms. Fatima Hunet, who is a senior partner in transfer pricing at Grant Thornton. And ma'am has uh, kindly consented to come and share her insights on her career journey. More specifically, very, very critical insights on transfer pricing, which is going to help you make a career choice. So before we get into transfer pricing and the very uh, core facets of it, ma'am, I would just quickly want you to uh, share with us that uh, were you like a, always a topper in school, very good in academics and then uh, so Bethany High, Bishop Cotton, Christ University and then uh, was like see a natural progression of that? How did you stumble upon the CA path? Are your siblings also into that same thing? Did your father also was a professional or more of a businessman? Just if you could take us through that. Right. Thanks, Anurag. Yes. Uh, uh, incidentally, yes, I have been uh, kind of excelling in academics as well as in uh, extracurricular activities in my schooling. I was also the captain of my house, uh, Blue House. It's called Sakka House at that time in Bethany High. And then after my matriculation, I joined Bishop Cottons. And that to your question, you know, I discovered I want to do CA back then. And it's quite interesting. So uh, I discovered that everybody in my uh, batch uh, or a lot of them in the batch, I won't say everyone, a lot of them in the batch wanted to do CA. And I learned that they wanted to do that because it's one of the most difficult professions and one of the best professions in the commerce background. Okay. And also it is one of the least expensive courses to start doing. Right. So that's it. I made my decision that I will also do CA. And how did architecture and, and industrial training happen? Yeah, I'll come to that. But you also asked me that question on whether, you know, anybody else yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in my family. So my father is a businessman and uh, my brother is a doctor. And uh, in my uh, family, in my paternal and maternal side, I believe I'm the first CA. So I, uh, that's just how it went. Okay, and articleship and industrial training? Okay, so articleship, I actually did in a single uh, sole proprietorship firm on Church Street for a couple of years. And um, after that, after a couple of years, you know, I believe that I needed a lot more experience. Um, a lot of my peers from school and college had joined large firms and kept in touch with them. In fact, I have a huge network. I don't... I hadn't networked with them that much earlier, which I should have. Um, but yeah, I, whatever I chose, like this whole proprietorship firm also, I got a lot of independence, a lot to learn. And I was the first of the articles in that firm that ever cleared. I was a ranker in inter. So my principal was also very happy. And third year when I say, I realized that, okay, industrial training is where you could actually join an industry uh, in a company and further get experience so that is where i uh, kind of applied um, at one of our top uh, technology firms and i got in there and yeah you did mention that when i joined there were 40 male in the finance team and i was the only lady and that to an intern but i enjoyed the ride okay and uh, one uh, quick uh question here is that you are in a pedestal of life where a lot of people working in the big four big five aspire a partner so in your journey to become a partner and you've had a very fairly a very quick rise to the partner level so what were those 
factors which really clicked for you, which could be like serendipity or your venturing into the unknown and taking risk. So what really factor was that which clicked for you? Okay. I would say, uh, firstly, be very good at what you're doing. Be very good at what you're doing, right? The firms, um, wherever you work, whether it's in the firms or the companies, industry, be very clear about what are the expectations. So my rise, if you talk about my personal journey, I always wanted to be very clear about uh, what are the expectations and exceed them, right? Before that, I was very clear about choosing work that I enjoy. Like I shared with you earlier also, Anurag, I didn't really enjoy, and this is my personal uh, preference, I didn't really enjoy interpreting law so much, right? So other things automatically got eliminated and transfer pricing is a stream of tax, which actually helped me get onto the business side of things, talk to the MDs of companies, promoters of companies, learn about the business. So I enjoyed that, right? I picked it up. In between, I made a choice to say, okay, now I want to do other areas of tax also, right? And like I said, since I did not really enjoy doing just bookish things, it's not really bookish. In fact, now I know, of course, with all my years of experience, but back then, it's very important to choose what you loved and then be clear about what are the expectations of the role and exceed those expectations. That's very important. I believe in my career journey also. Uh, and if you look at my LinkedIn, you'll see there are some uh, movements and uh, in my career uh, path as well. Some of those are not uh, really out of, uh, well, I'd not like to comment too much on that. I'll just say that um, as you rightly also uh, mentioned, Anura, joining my current firm, I think was one of the, uh, most important milestones in my career 12 years out of the 20 years i've been with my firm right and when i joined before i joined i was just a manager and the profile being offered by my firm was to set up and grow the transfer pricing practice for south india in the firm and at that point the practice was hardly there right now you can imagine what all setting up a practice would need in a large firm for which I had no preparedness at that point in time, but I took that risk because it really inspired me. And many times on the lighter side, I can share that I make these huge leaps and then I realize, oh my God, why did I even do it? But then I know I do take those jumps. I still do it. I still make those wild leaps because on the other side is a lot of excitement, a lot of newness, a lot of growth. So I, these aspects, I, I believe, have brought me to where I am and I hope, uh, yeah, I just hope to continue that. Fair point, ma'am. And, and challenges know. are different. Challenges are different at every stage of career. And as you grow, the challenges only become more. But then you're all the more stronger. You know how to handle them. Perfect. So, ma'am, now coming to transfer pricing uh, and why I'm asking you these questions is because this field evokes a lot of interest amongst freshers. So, we'll have a series of pointed questions that will endeavor at guiding youngsters about the career prospects. So, when it comes yeah. to taking a career choice as specific as transfer pricing, so there are pros and cons. So, for example, the pros is that you become a subject matter expert. 
but the con probably could be that you get typecast as a tp professional and subsequently five years down the line if things don't go well can you actually change service line so when one as a fresher because the choice of the first job is really very important you kind of get typecasted that way so then is tp uh, a valid choice that one should take uh, if given a bouquet of choices is that's my first question so obviously uh, i'm not unbiased i'm not an independent party but i'll try to be um transfer pricing is an excellent career choice anurag for ca professionals as well as uh, mbas economists even graduates and i'll cover that in where they may find more opportunities but it's an excellent career choice because of various reasons why i say that um see transfer pricing is basically an outcome of measures that tax authorities worldwide took in order to ensure they get the right share of global income in their respective countries and why did they need to do that it's because of the increasing globalization over the years where most of the international trade is conducted within group companies and the minute you conduct trade within group companies the headquarters have the authority and they often exercise the authority to fix the prices of the goods and services in a way that meets their strategic objectives now in the process what might happen which was happening in the 90s in india and late uh, 90s in, in fact even when the regulations were introduced in india we found several companies that were operating at just cost basis no profit and the concept of cost centers everyone is familiar with so there are these triggers because of which these regulations were introduced and like i said not just in india globally even the smallest of countries these days are introducing it's very easy to introduce this regulation in local laws and very highly effective in helping tax authorities to make adjustments where the cases are not meeting transfer pricing norms right so the oecd and other forums have extensive regulations which the countries can just pick up and introduce in their uh, country's code and these countries have also signed up to kind of together implement these in their code which means that people who start off in transfer pricing in any country invariably end up building a career that becomes a global career so if anyone has aspirations of really moving abroad or in different countries they can actually leverage on this kind uh, this particular uh, career choice to be able to become globally mobile and still not lose out on their years of experience and in fact build up on that so yes in summary a great career choice again why practically it continues to be important one data point i'll share anurag that india was one of the top 3 countries in terms of transfer pricing litigation with the tax department which just shows the importance of the practice and the importance of the need of these professionals for corporates no uh, so transfer pricing is a career how does it stack up for a chartered accountant vis-a-vis uh, -vis the kind of opportunities it opens for let's say a bcom graduate and an mba or an eco stat background person so are there differences in the career path should uh, someone from a bcom mba or eco background offer transfer pricing are there differences in that in india vis-a-vis -vis, like territories abroad where they might be applying far more statistical methods sure 
another great question anurag so i would say that that see one can't really compare an educational background of a graduate with that of a professional of course there are uh, people like uh, you know the well known ones like uh, steve jobs and others which were dropouts and yet they became global icons and success stories but for the limited context of what we are discussing in my experience we've seen people with varied ba uh, business backgrounds academic backgrounds still become very successful so what i'm going to say is more of a generic kind of a response uh, to kind of put some structure around your question so for graduates i would say and this is slightly stereotypical answer but by and large valid for graduates mainly in transfer pricing the area of contribution could be around research around financial analysis around benchmarking and these are not not important right these are also important but this is where they uh, normally can play right and again um, as we were discussing earlier there are different uh, options uh, where they could use this skill set so transfer pricing in india are amongst the large firms and also mid sized local ca firms most firms are practicing so apart from the end to end transfer pricing consulting practice which includes assisting companies with their transfer pricing documentation issuing certification um defending them before income tax authorities and in higher appeal right and also a varied variety of consulting right when anybody sets up shop in india they need to know how to set up their policy right and in fact if it's a large group with multiple transactions then you need to actually structure all of it and once you structure that you need to take into account your withholding tax impact your corporate tax rate impact your gst impact right so accordingly you'll need to kind of change the models so this is a very intensive activity which needs a lot of intellect a lot of analytical uh, uh, capability right so these are the important skill sets that come to play when uh, you know you kind of look at which impact areas one can be successful in end to end then yes you need to have the capability and the passion to kind of be able to practice across right um so this is how depending on the academic background and what you're trained to do so when you talk about cas cas in their three year article the period are trained to audit right so they're very good they know already how to do the certification the financial analysis that also is very important in the transfer pricing uh, analysis part a lot of stuff anurag to be honest when fresh cas join our practices they actually don't know much and they are trained on the job right so the question you may ask is in if any case everybody is trained why can't an mba be as successful as a ca or why can't a graduate be as successful as a ca so my answer to that is yes they can be in our experience whoever chooses to work hard and bring their capabilities out on the impact areas which i mentioned they end up succeeding right so that brings a lot of hope to people even from like a eco background or a statistics background uh, so the other days when we were conversing you said that internationally people from an eco start background are in fact more successful in tp because there they use a lot of statistical methods to arrive at arm lengths is my understanding correct uh, right maybe i'll jump in and add a flavor to uh, what we discussed earlier anurag so 
that uh, globally and outside India and the Western uh, countries, uh, mainly the transfer pricing practice, a lot of it is practiced by boutique firms also who are very popular and have large practices, right? And even within large consulting firms, a large part of the business also is being run by uh, statisticians and economists. Again, we must remember that India as a jurisdiction, many times it's an inbound where headquarters are outside India. So also given the fact that headquarters are in those jurisdictions, that transfer pricing is far more developed and deep and the um, environment in general allows one to practice a wide variety of options on a wide variety of transactions at a group level. So the level of complexity is way, way higher uh, as compared to the complexities uh, one faces in India. More the challenges emanate from the litigation with the tax department. Because more often than not, the taxpayer is at this end and the tax authority is at the other end. But yes, in India also, but like I said, since a large part of practice is also defense, right? Defending before income tax authorities, making submissions, interpreting, meeting them, um, putting the points forward. That aspect is one which uh, most economists may or may not want to do, right? So it's all about that. The flavor of the practice and uh, which skill set is best. of the specific best. jurisdiction, like in India, you said litigation is something which will be more in demand. And ma'am, in TP, uh, since India is now becoming a hotbed of uh, offshoring, so a lot of big four, big five is offshoring work. So TP also, do you see significant uh, traction in terms of offshoring of TP work? What is the scope there? How is it different from like being part of an Indian practice vis-a-vis -vis being in the same city but catering to European clients in an offshore model. Yeah, I believe, Anurag, very honestly, all these create very good career opportunities for everybody, right? People just need to pick and choose what they really enjoy and pick accordingly. I don't look down upon any particular practice area as delivering less value, right? It's just about what kind of uh, matches your requirements what do you want to do during your work day and what gives you happiness right so uh, in terms of your offshoring question see what happens is what what is the work that one can offshore right one can offshore standardized procedures where the quality control can be easily implemented and which does not require too much interaction with the clients directly now, these are some standard principles of work that can be lifted and offshore and implemented and run very efficiently, right? So those become like repetitive procedures, procedures which can be automated and run, right? So that uh, offshoring typically in the global firms, I won't say big number, whatever, but global firms are able to offshore those procedures in India and mainly happens to be in the domain of benchmarking, preparing industry overviews based on research and that, right? So what happens is there, just like offshoring in any other business, Anurag, the people who are doing that may not have a chance to interact with the clients of the member firms because this is offshore work. Okay? And 
after a point in time things could get repetitive now what do i what i do understand is that in different regions across the world different type of work is offshore maybe the australia and canada corridor the financial services benchmarking is very high right from another corridor some other industry may be very high services may be very high so over time you could rotate the regions and get a different flavor the profile may overall remain the same you may not be interacting with clients and you may be doing more of the kind of job which i said in the client facing work with client facing role what happens is that uh, one gets to do the entire chain right from pitching for a client bid to preparing proposals engagement letters interacting with the clients setting the entire project plan for whatever work you're going to do for example if it is planning or advisory or documentation even certification or defense you get to be a part of it right from scratch and then uh, the part of the entire engagement delivery team and do end to end transfer pricing consulting for your client so this is broadly i would say the entire client side interactions and um, you know uh, see not just in terms of engagement letters and proposals you also intensively interact with the clients to understand their business and profile it this is a very important step in that entire transfer pricing analysis in the offshoring part what happens is this part is performed by the member firm counterpart who's offshoring the work they discuss with the clients they study the transactions and they say hey this is the benchmark you need to do this is how broadly the functions of the clients are and that is what comes already done ready made to the offshoring unit in india so broadly i'd like to highlight these aspects i would say who should choose the offshoring uh, destination kind of work see again these offshoring destinations are very well known for their work environment not that others are not right so uh, i've been on all sides um, in a lot of firms and this is nothing to kind of um, comment on any particular firm i am giving a very independent view to listeners and graduates there is a lot of opportunity the quality of work is good there is a lot to learn i strongly believe irrespective of whether it's offshoring or client facing there is a lot to learn and develop there are a lot of benefits structured work um and you can deeply learn all those activities in both sides important thing is to make that change when you feel you have learned enough okay in my team currently i can give you an example after 10 years in back office work in consulting firm once and then in industry this team member of mine joined my firm in my team and now he successfully doing client facing work also as an associate director he didn't lose out yes he joined me laterally and seamlessly integrated and picked up everything as he went along so again their support is required little understanding is required and then slowly you put anybody in the live uh, production right so the advantages that he brought is he's a very good people's person he was able to keep the team together and motivate them inspire them so it's not necessary for everybody to be good at everything but you need to be very good at some things right Fair. so i would say with general guidance i hope the 
comparison yeah, is absolutely. clear. Ma'am, what is the future of transfer pricing now? So for establishing arm's length respect to cross-border transaction, it will always remain. But uh, some people say that since in domestic transactions, now TP regulations have been relaxed. Because whether it is company A or the subsidiary B, as long as both are in the same tax zone, it's like a tax neutral thing. So then for domestic transactions, this kind of, you know, uh, closes gates for this entire TP practice and you're now restricted only to the international part. Is that a hypothesis which holds good uh, or is it like just something which can be rebutted with a lot of logic? No, no. So I'll give you the practical side of it, Anurag. It's a good question and it's a valid question. The practical side of it is even transfer pricing was introduced in India. India, if you consider that as a home, within India, whatever happens, at least as long as everything is reported, say I have a company and you have a company and we do some transactions domestically in India, even if I sell you, uh, sell a service or do something for you for free, right? I've done something for you for free. You haven't paid me anything, okay? I haven't shown any income for tax in India, right? At the same time in your books, you don't have any expenditure because you didn't pay me anything. So say notional value of that work which I did for you was 100. So neither you claimed 100 as deduction nor I showed 100 as income. So the tax base on a net basis is not impacted in india it's called a revenue neutral transaction right so for 12 years from when transfer pricing was applicable in india it was only on international transactions in a landmark case which is well reported and known the supreme court passed an order saying around a dispute of tax holiday now we are well aware as ca practitioners are well aware of some of the abuses that happen with tax holidays right to plug that gap, uh, the Supreme Court in a case which had gone up to the Supreme Court held that, see, right now you cannot apply transfer pricing principles. If you want to apply, this was the advisory to the government and the tax officers. If you want to apply, enact a law. So in line with the recommendation and the ruling, the government also made domestic transfer pricing, brought it within the ambit of the transfer pricing provisions these transactions also and the tax holiday transactions also so from 2012 until whenever the transactions were covered under transfer pricing what were covered let's take examples under 482b uh, payments to directors and key managerial personnel were covered rent paid to you know these key managerial personnel and others were covered and there are some list goes on so what will they benchmark what will anyone benchmark payment to ceo for example how much should be paid right you can have some benchmarks but it's never going to go anywhere and in any case they are paying tax on it on the payment correct so therefore what happened is firstly practically if you look at the overall share of transfer pricing the domestic transaction were not even like a drop in the ocean anyway and then over the few years that the regulation was implemented the industry made representations that this is a redundant compliance take it away and therefore accordingly the government also removed application of transfer pricing from 
these transactions, which were just payments and um, you know to key manageable personnel and the like, they retain the applicability on the tax holiday because that is a real impact, right? Between a transfer pricing, there's an interesting part, let's say, which is advisory. And uh, what's your coping mechanism for the not so interesting parts of the TP practice, the November season, where there's a lot of filing, a lot of compliance work. And I've seen people getting completely bored, worked out and burnt out in that season. So, I mean, advisory litigation, everyone loves, but then you also get paid by the client for doing not so exciting parts. So then how does one strike a balance between the two? Okay. I would say that the minute we say we can't choose parts which are interesting and boring, everything comes as a basket, right? Even when you take a, you get, you look at the rose, it's got thorns in its stem. I won't say the certification part is like thorns, but uh, everything has its own set of challenges. And for some, somebody certification might be interesting. For somebody else, advisory may be interesting. For somebody else, defense may be interesting. But each work is interrelated. Yeah. So for a client, unless you do the entire life cycle, you'll not be able to see what you put in the documentation, how it actually got um, audited by the tax officers, and how actually whether it stood the test of audit or not. So each aspect has a lot to offer to people who are practicing. And I think each part is interesting. It just depends on people's preferences on what they might find interesting, what they might not. Personally, I'm not a big fan of interpreting and taking 10 interpretations out of one section. I'm very logical. I like to go forward in a uh, logical way, have logical alternatives and a logical conclusion. But law is not logic, right? It has its own life. And we have to comply and work according to that. But the November part or the October part, whenever now, uh, whatever is the season, I think transfer pricing professionals are the ones who bear the worst brunt. Because they, they are pressed into service after the financials are audited. At times, the financials are signed a couple of days before the due date or on the same day. So it becomes very challenging for our team members to kind of uh, take most of the load in one, two months. So I don't think it's more of boredom. It's about undue burden on our people that gets placed because the particular way in which the industry and you know the various compliances are lined up, right? Even I cannot um, say that it's in the hands of our clients, right? because they have multiple compliances back to back and they're just stuck in that cycle and they want to finish one before they start the other, right? So until this unholy nexus and the cycle of back to back compliance is broken, uh, you know, somewhere that burden comes on the one who's last in a relay race, correct? So that whole burden comes onto the TP profile. Ma'am, did you face uh, like uh, gender stereotypes at work? and uh, in your two decades of professional world and there be a lot of girls uh, aspiring to be chartered accountants aspiring to be partners like you in two decades from now so what would be your advice to them when it comes to like uh, being a woman uh, having to balance so much and also face these gender stereotypes that you got it easy because there were a there was a 
quota for women or uh, you don't really contribute that much etc etc so there are a lot of doomsayers who say all sort of things so what is your take on right. that see i think uh, as far as my personal journey is concerned um, uh, i think it's also very important as to how one is you know brought up i've studied in a coed uh, school and right from beginning my upbringing has been very liberal so in spite of me having an elder brother it was never a rule that he has to accompany me everywhere in fact he would say you want to go somewhere you better go on your own right so i had uh, i have been brought up like that okay now i don't want to oversimplify the issue i do agree there are stereotypes and there's a negative impact of that on career growth of scores of women and i believe that happens because in any situation if women become a minority it becomes all the more difficult not because of others actions because we even feel like a minority and it becomes all the more difficult right imagine yourself in a bunch of women in a room how would you feel and then that is your day to day story right it it just does not create a proper room for uh, diversity and uh, therefore yes it is there it is around personally in my journey i would say i have not faced such remarks or such things that i've got easy in fact i think anyone who's worked with me my bosses my peers or my juniors would know uh, would have seen that i've actually had opportunities and i've grabbed those opportunities so i think these are very important points uh, in being able to keep doing what you love to do yeah and secondly you asked sorry you said that day uh, that you were the one in 40 people in wipro during your industrial training and all 40 were men so this is the kind yes. of feeling that one would get like i would get in a room full of women i would completely feel out of place in some way you would have got that same feeling for probably an year but right so i uh, yeah when i was growing out uh, or when i was developing or uh, just getting into the corporate world and the side of things diversity and dni no one was talking about these things back then right you just took it you just accepted this is how things are right and that's how most of my career has been all about i just accepted that this is how things are and i never understood that maybe this is not the best place to be in or maybe i have to work harder i was never aware of all of that until a few years back i would say it becomes difficult as you go more and more senior and it is not because of people around you only they don't intentionally do something but at times at times it might happen also but i'm saying just make sure that you are uh, surrounded by people who support you who appreciate you for your skill set and have mentors mentors are very important mentors have played a huge role in my career growth they've offered insights i've even looked up to them as role models right so again that brings me to a good point of having role models very important emulate somebody you admire right you need not emulate everything but take whatever you like from any immediate role models that you can uh, see and implement those to move move ahead fair point i mean very insightful for uh, 
the girls who are watching this ma'am uh, as a partner uh, you would be facing a lot of stress uh, bringing business getting it executed in the midst of that you also need to find life so and you also need to fulfill responsibilities of a mother so are you able to really give quality time to your kid what's your mantra for regeneration fun and fitness is one question that i would want to ask you sure anurag there i would say that i've been in this firm for uh, 12 years now and yes one does feel uh, the pressures of work one does feel uh, you know uh, the pressures of travel pre covid i mean and the pressures of basically interacting with so many people right but now in covid you really realize how much all of that meant and what was the uh, you know real impact and how it actually rejuvenated you you know the work itself was uh, in that situation now of course we are still working but it's like little different i really look forward to um, working with my colleagues and stuff but as you rightly mentioned there needs to be a balance right you can't be subsumed by one side only and uh, my mantra is i love to clean my house i love to organize things and i love to just hang out with my family my husband and my son and uh, of course catch up on something new or the other right so these days i think a lot of people have started that if they were not doing earlier so i have also started a bit of cooking um covid so you need to and yes we all pitch in and do that so a lot of stuff um, i make sure that there are some timelines and uh, for closing work and opening work and that is extremely important because in the first month of covid days seemed endless it's very convenient right you just click on the green button and then you're always on uh, but yeah maintaining that boundary really helped so as we went along now it's become much more balanced yeah actually the first month of covid it was like 9 o'clock 10 o'clock you're just working and that's it ma'am in retrospect uh, what advice would fatima in the 40s give to fatima at the age of 20 and that's my last question to you so in terms of it's like a question of that how would you rewind life and probably do things differently what would be your advice to someone who is watching this show a youngster in the 20s at that threshold of life the 90s of your life what would be your advice okay that's a very heavy question i'll answer it in a very simple way i wouldn't want to change a lot of things but i'd like to share about an episode uh, from my early days of my professional career where uh, i had a me- uh, challenge um, i wouldn't call it depression but some elements of that which came in uh, and it was a huge struggle and uh, i'd like to share that uh, with people who are listening in it's very important i share that uh, and the reason for that is i realized later when i came out of that phase with the help of my family and my faith and whatever you know it needed a lot of mental strength to actually come out of that phase and believe right i realized later as to why that happened um, and it it's not uh, same for everybody but it's very important to choose what i love to do and i have an inherent need to excel i need to be on top quite deservingly so but if i find myself not uh, 
really making the mark or making the cut and struggling somewhere those are situations where i would really become very very uncomfortable and that is why when it comes to career it's one fundamental pillar of our lives it's very important to choose wisely it's very important to choose not just what we do wisely but if we end up in an organization where we are surrounded by good people who care for our growth the firm is overall growing don't make short term decisions based on oh i didn't get that promotion or i didn't get that pay hike or whatever as long as the main factors are in place i would earnestly suggest that don't make that uh, a change right now the situation is very different it's covid not many options are available but my main point here is that choose what you love to do not what you think you should be doing or what others are telling you you will definitely succeed and if you're facing this challenge which i face please share with others don't keep it to yourself share it with the people at work they're not going to think you're weak in fact my managers were aware they helped me out when i was going through this journey it's very important please do share and uh, coming back to your question anurag on what i would tell uh, myself in my 20s late 20s perhaps when i became a mother i i would tell myself stop feeling guilty at that time there was no one around me who would tell me that but i would say stop feeling guilty it's all right whatever time i have with my son uh, and whatever i am able to do at home is the best i can do and i shouldn't feel guilty and everything will work out because when i'm at work i'm doing my best when i'm at home i'm doing my best and by feeling guilty or having regret it's not giving any benefit to anybody right <coughs> excuse me so that's that's what i in short i would tell myself the rest of the things i'm quite happy with all right fantastic pearls of wisdom from ma'am thank you so much for coming on the show and sparing your time i think there were very critical insights that we got on transfer pricing as a profession your journey your tenacity of purpose and i could really imagine a kind of a topper always wanting to be on the top of things uh, in career as well and thanks for being so candid with everything thank you so much ma'am for coming on the show pleasure is all mine anurag thanks for inviting me sure thank you so much ma'am yeah